Hello and welcome back to the Quacked Out Pod. I'm back. I'm Charlie, and joining me is our, our, the best interviewer <laughs> I've, I've heard in a minute. Um, talking about Reed Tingley, who talked to Joey Harrington. If you have not listened to our last episode, you should go do that. Uh, it was awesome, man. Real quick, like, what was that experience like? How did you prepare for that? Yeah, it was it was an awesome experience for me for sure. Um, definitely a lot of prep went into it. I I kind of cycled through a bunch of questions, and I thought like I think we've all heard some interviews with Joey probably where he talked about his playing career, and I really wanted to talk about like given the time the fact that it's kind of a a big change this off season and everything with the letter. I I more just wanted to get his perspective on the Oregon program because I think he has a lot to say about that. Um, and I definitely want to say for some people who maybe scanned over that one in their feed, uh, and I know I saw some of the sentiment over on, on scoop duck people kind of who were tired of his perspective from what they thought they, that he was saying in the letter, I would definitely encourage them to check out the podcast. Cause I think he came through a lot better in the podcast. And I think it was honestly a more accurate representation about how he feels about the program and its identity and its future than some of the coverage and discussion around uh, the letter. So, yeah, I would definitely encourage people to check it out. And, yeah, it was an awesome experience for me personally, for sure. Yeah, man. It was very, like you're saying, it was very evident who actually listened to the interview and who just formed an opinion about it um, (laughs) based on their comments. So, yeah, again, even if you, you know, maybe you're tired of hearing Joey's name for whatever reason, uh, I would still encourage you to check it out. It'll it could definitely change your opinion on some things. Um, this episode, though, will mainly be going over the roster, something we focus on quite a, quite a bit on our offseason episodes, especially. Um, so we'll get into that in a little bit. We do have a little bit of news first, a couple different topics we don't, we want to touch on. Um, first of all, personally, it, this has been a long time coming, and uh, it's already been this way for a while. But this is the first time since we recorded. I'm also on Scoop Duck now. Um, I've joined Reed and Prodigy and uh, Jared Denny and uh, J Hop, of course. Everybody else over at Scoop Duck. Um, yeah, this podcast does not reflect necessarily the opinions of J Hop or anybody. Uh, that should be pretty obvious by now. We're still independent from Scoop Duck, like this is our own thing. But uh, yeah, mainly be doing basketball stuff, and I'll just keep. Um, I don't know. I'll, I'll probably throw out some football articles. If, an idea or two pops into my head, but yeah, I'm excited to get going there. And, um, yeah. Yeah. Reed, you mean, got, we're not, we're not necessarily on. a basketball podcast, but you certainly, uh, got two pretty good games to write about for your first two articles, huh? Bro, honestly, I couldn't have lucked out more with, uh, UCLA and USC being the first two. And you know, what's funny is I, um, I, could have decided between like the Arizona, the women's game against Arizona and the USC game later that night. Uh, they had both turned out being pretty good options considering both of them ended up being top 10 wins, but I'm kind of wishing I had gone to that women's game, to be honest. It looked pretty lit when I was watching it on TV. Uh, at least the part I was able to see through the glitches that was Pac-12 network. Right. Anyways. Then, then they followed up with the UConn win a couple days ago after that. So yeah, Yeah, that's right. Yeah, man. It, it was a crazy weekend, really, for basketball. So, yeah, I mean, like you said, we're not a basketball pod, but we may need to bring it up once in a while um, if Altman and Graves keep the, these trajectories going. 
Yeah, we certainly pull for them still. I mean, root for them, so. Oh, of course, of course. Uh, Reed, I want you to introduce this first topic we're going to talk about because you had a little bit of a viral moment almost in your initial discussion of this on Twitter. You want to just lay it out? Yeah, it was it was pretty funny. Um, this was a while ago now, about a week ago, I guess. But I uh, obviously there's national championship game, and part of that was Kayvon doing this kind of like three hour long sit down watch along of the game with Joel Clad of of Fox Sports. Um, and so I was I kind of was rewatching that later that night, and just saw some funny clips of it that Kayvon was you know talking about um, why he chose Oregon and the connection with Nike, and then he had this one clip where he's talking about you know why Oregon kind of set him up for success better than Alabama, and so I kind of just you know screen recorded. I thought some of our like local Duck family Twitter would would find it interesting. Um, and so I tweet that out and it starts off, you know, pretty normal. Like people are pretty positive towards it. Obviously Ducks fans are liking and retweeting it. And then it kind of took on this new life where, um, where the SEC fans get a hold of it and they're kind of going back and forth on, uh, about how like, you know, dumb Kayvon is or something. And they're grabbing these other clips of Kayvon saying, you know, he beat Evan Neal and they're grabbing one random rep off of, a, you know, <laughs> off of YouTube where Kayvon was, you know, didn't completely embarrass him. And then of the like 10 other ones that he probably did embarrass him. Um, and Josh Pate tweeted out the clip I posted. It was just pretty crazy. Um, and the clip ended up getting half a million views, which is certainly the most of anything I've ever posted. Um I mean, obviously, it's it's not my original content or anything, so I can't uh, take credit for it exactly. And that was uh, proven to me the next morning when Fox Fox tweets out a really similar clip to the one that I screen recorded, and then uh, and then gives me a, a copyright notice and takes down the one that I posted. Um, but yeah, it was pretty funny. Uh, I mean, I wanted to say, I think it was kind of unfortunate because, um, you know, when I posted it, it was kind of lighthearted and I just thought, oh, it's like a funny thing when Kayvon's kind of doing some pro organ <laughs> propaganda that I knew the Ducks fans would love. And then it turned into all these Bama fans getting really salty and some of the, it was kind of unfortunate because I think, you know, the West Coast and Pac-12 football already kind of struggles to break through and get a ton of coverage. And some of that's deserved because the league was pretty bad this year. But it was unfortunate for, like, that to be one of the main moments that people focused on about Kayvon uh, and Pac-12 football in the end. So that was, you know, take what you will. I mean, I thought some of it was a little bit ridiculous, I think, because... I mean, I get that they're like, you know, some people say, well, I mean, that's not totally true about a BAM education, which if you haven't seen the clip, uh, I'm sure you can find it somewhere. If you scroll far back enough on my Twitter, I retweeted the one Fox posted. But um, anyways, he's, he's kind of saying like, you know, the Alabama degree doesn't mean as much as the Oregon degree because at Oregon you have these connections with Nike and you get to talk to Phil Knight and the, we just like nurture you in a certain way and set athletes up for success 
Um, and then a bunch of the Bama folks were pretty angry about that. Uh, I, <laughs> I will know. say a lot of them, a lot of them weren't helping their own arguments about the Bama education. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think that's true. And I don't know, for me in the end, it was just kind of upsetting too, because Bama fans like, and, and SEC fans spew so much just garbage about how like, you can't succeed in the Pac-12 and it's not real football and whatever. And, and obviously the league hasn't been terribly successful the past few years. But like at the end of the day, I mean, it doesn't really matter what the fan thinks. Like Oregon was able to sell the number one player in the country to come there. And like Oregon and that player should have every right to be like proud of that, I think, and say whatever they want really. So, Yeah. Yeah, totally. And I, I like the fact that you brought up that he was, in fact, the number one player. So, like, the one rep that some, some random fan is going to find online of him losing one rep in a camp is, like, okay, he was still the number one player for a reason. Like, I, I it seems like just arguing with a wall at that point. Um, I don't know. There were a lot of dumb arguments made surrounding that. But, I, <laughs> I mean, I didn't even realize until we sat down just now that you're clip got as many views as it did uh so that's pretty cool on the first hand and second i mean it's just the whole situation is very unfortunate basically around one word for me i love the fact that Kayvon was on tv with joel clatt i love the fact that he was being a positive ambassador for the university of oregon which again for the vast majority of those three hours i'm sure he was an overwhelmingly positive uh ambassador for the university of oregon I've had classes with Kayvon. We have the same major and minor, so I've had multiple classes with him. I've seen him participate in classes. I can tell you from that sense that he is genuinely a smart guy. Um, the the stigmatism word just came at a very unfortunate time in that clip, in right. that interview. Uh, <laughs> and I think if it wasn't for that, then there really wouldn't be that big of a mess. Unfortunately, that portion of the interview is kind of what caught people's attention. If you don't know what I'm talking about, Kayvon used... He tried to say there was a stigma about Alabama education, and they said stigmatism instead, which is obviously not the same thing. Regardless, uh, I've made my point already. I, it, I was glad to see Kayvon on TV getting all that airtime. Um, yeah, I and think, yeah, I think he was awesome for most of it. And yeah, like you said, I mean, it's just kind of like it was unfortunate to see people paint him in like this light of being a dumb jock because I think he was, you know. I mean, if you watch those three hours, which I watched a lot of it, I mean, he's really a, a incredibly articulate dude for being a 20-year-old or 21-year-old on national TV. Like, most mm-hmm. of the people who are quote-tweeting him and calling him dumb or whatever would sound like babbling idiots, I'm sure, if they were put in a chair <laughs> trying to analyze football next to Joel Klatt. So it was kind of that part of it was a bit unfortunate. And like Greg McElroy about the Wonderlick and whatever. It's like, I, I bet Kayvon's probably going to get a pretty good score on the Wonderlick test. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he probably is. Yeah. <laughs> whatever. Um, yeah, I mean, we don't need to beat that to death. And Bama fans had much more to worry about at the time and still probably do for the most part uh, than whatever Kayvon thinks. Uh, the double standard when it comes to these type of conversations, this is the last thing I'll say about this. The double standard is always funny because, like, oh, you know, the argument from Bama fan centers around, like, oh, Oregon is irrelevant. Well, okay, then why are you so concerned about what 
this irrelevant school is talking about. Like, we already took him as a recruit. I, I don't understand what they want out of this situation. So, right, um, right. It's not just a. It's not just fans talking. It's like all of our opinions matter a lot less than the uh, guy who's probably going to go number one, maybe top five in the NFL draft. Yes. Like, yes. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, we finished that segment a little bit ahead of schedule. That gives us a little bit more time to jump into this roster read. Uh, if you're like me, you were having a bit of trouble um, following, literally just keeping up with these personnel changes, uh, whether it's the guys leaving, which of which there are many, uh, the guys in and out and in and out of the transfer portal, in some cases changing as many as four times within like 12 hours or whatever it was with Sean dollars, um, <laughs> where all these guys are moving to who we're getting from where, uh, it can be really tough to keep track of. So in general, again, Reed and I kind of like to go back to this every, every so often, just want to lay it all out. I got my big spreadsheet in front of me, look at the names on the roster and, you know, give a general outlook for each position group. Um, as we enter a new year, 2022. So, um, Reed, I have an idea of where you might want to start, but uh, I'll let you go ahead and choose. Yeah, I think just we'll just go standard on this one. Start at the top with quarterbacks, um, and and we can just dive right in. So, obviously, uh, Anthony Brown graduated. He's gone. Robbie Ashford goes into the portal and lands at Auburn. Um, and basically, as people have noted, that turned turned out to be pretty much a trade. Uh, for Bo Nix from Auburn. Mm -hmm. uh, we covered Nix a little bit, his relationship with Dillingham as offensive coordinator in 2019, which was probably Bo's best year at Auburn. Um, I think that for me, I look at this quarterback room pretty positively compared to last year. Uh, I think Nix is a guy with a higher floor than Brown had for sure. Um, and I also think... Uh, Compared to some Ducks fans, I'm a lot slower to kind of turn the page or dismiss uh, these young guys in the quarterback room. I thought that uh, Ryan Winter at Sports Chat 503, um, he had a really interesting point on, on some video I was watching. I forget which one, but um, he was talking about how, you know, if you look at the history of Oregon football, true freshmen have basically never started at the quarterback position outside of Herbert stepping in in that disastrous four and eight years. Um, so I kind of was just saying, you know, if if you're starting a true freshman at Oregon, at least historically, you're probably in a really bad spot at quarterback. Um, and so mm -hmm. that kind of, obviously we've seen some freshmen have, have more success at other places, but I think that that has kind of uh, led to a miscalibration of expectations for fans. And for me, I, I still have a lot of hope in, Ty Thompson, I think him not starting last year, even with some of the question marks we saw from Anthony Brown, doesn't really change my outlook for him uh, long term. I think there's another chance to learn more about him this spring, uh, and maybe I'll change my tune on him or feel, you know, I, I'm sure I'll feel a little different in the fall depending on either way which happens, but mm -hmm. I still have hope in him and Jay Butterfield. So I think you have a, a good floor in Knicks and, uh, 
and and honestly with Knicks, I think he has a higher ceiling than some people think he could have too. Um, mm-hmm. But what's what's your thoughts here? I agree with everything you said as usual. I mean, I'm I, I'm approaching this in a similar way I approached the Brown situation last year. Everybody wants to have a take about who they already know is the best and defend it tooth and nail until the day they die. And like, yeah, I understand. Like, that's fine. I'm not I'm not gonna like shit on people for doing that. It's you know, that's what the internet is for. Like, it's fun to do that. That's part of being a fan for a lot of people. Uh, that's just not how I like to consume things. Um, we've heard from Lanning and Dillingham that, like, there will be a legitimate competition. I have even more reason to believe that than I did with Mario. Um, again, we <laughs> don't really need to get into why. I think everybody kind of knows why Mario had a foot out the door towards the end of the season, whereas... I mean, these guys are literally brand new here. Um, They have no reason not to start the best quarterback. And if they truly believe Bo Nix is the best quarterback, then so be it. I mean, I find it kind of ironic that with pretty much, I don't know, like often the same people who want to have these sort of takes I'm talking about are so willing to dismiss a player for not being good enough. But when Ty Thompson can't beat out Anthony Brown in practice, all of a sudden it's the coach's fault. You know what I mean? Um, and again, I, I would love to see Ty take the field as much as anybody. I just hope he's ready for it when that time happens. So whether it's Ty, whether it's Bo, I would not count Jay Butterfield out of this either. Um, all three of those guys I have, I have faith in that they can do well and whoever wins the job wins the job and I'm going to get behind them. So, uh, yeah, that's all I really got to say about that. I I do think if I had to put money on it though, I think Knicks would be the starter. Yeah, I, I probably agree with that at the end of the day, but um, I don't know. I, I think that one thing that's important to mention here is is Dillingham's experience at Florida State this past year with Jordan Travis and Mackenzie Milton and mm-hmm. him going with kind of a surprising pick at the time in Jordan Travis um, over a transfer quarterback who came in, right? I, I think that that's definitely something mm-hmm. of note uh, that that's worth paying attention to that shows Dillingham's willing to take a risk and willing to go with, you know, what he feels is best. Uh, and that quarterback room still, you know, it didn't turn toxic at all. Um, and he was able to manage, you know, those egos that obviously kind of always exist within a quarterback room. Um, mm-hmm. And so that makes me excited for, for whatever direction he goes. And I'll also say that a cool thing about this offense, or at least the offense that Norvell has ran is, is that it works with a lot of different quarterbacks, uh, Mm -hmm. a lot of different styles of QBs. So that kind of just opens the door for the best quarterback to win the job, which is all you can really ask for. Right. Something else we have to mention, which I'm sure 90% of listeners already know, but for those who might not, uh, Dillingham did coach uh, Bo Nix at Auburn in Nix's, best year at least relative right. to expectations coming in uh his freshman season at auburn also very high rec- highly rated recruit bo nix that's a difference than in the anthony brown situation uh bo nix also comes from playing in the sec where it's a lot harder to succeed than uh boston college where anthony brown was so just a couple things to keep in mind i don't want people to just um what's the word uh i don't want people to just reduce this to the same argument as last year because i think it's a completely different situation for all the reasons we just mentioned but i understand if people do it and i'm not gonna like 
I don't know. I'm, I'm done arguing with people about this stuff, you know? Yeah. But I think it's, it's tough to say at the end of the day, like, I guess there's a question about how big the upgrade will be from last year, but uh, I think you feel pretty good about having a better quarterback than, than last year with Anthony Brown probably at the end of the day. Yeah, definitely. And lastly, to, to, to end this segment on quarterbacks, uh, I want to mention a couple different things that uh, our guy QB11 has mentioned. Again, for those who know it, for those who don't know him, he's, you know, big film guy. Um, so he really gets likes to get into the nitty gritty of quarterbacks and situations. Um, first thing he said that I completely agreed with is uh, as soon as Nick's transferred, like, there's nothing wrong with more talent being in the room, right? Um, sure, maybe you push some out in Ashford, but I again, I think a lot of Duck fans would be okay with a third-string quarterback, or fourth, basically, being traded for a guy who started already for many years. Um, the second thing is, that, and this one I found even more interesting, this comment from him, was uh, if he had to put money on it, he would expect Knicks not to start. Uh, to begin the season. Right. I know that was like a while ago when Nick's first transferred again. I don't know if he's updated that opinion yet, but um, I think it's going to be a, a much more interesting quarterback competition than we got last year, for sure. Yeah, definitely. I agree with that. All right, running backs. Um, this, <laughs> this, is, this is an interesting room we got here. Um, I think the easiest way is to just kind of lay out who we had last year and where they're at now. Um, I think as a lot of people understand it, the the running back depth running back depth chart to begin last season started with CJ Verdell and Travis Dye. Obviously, I, it looks like CJ Verdell is staying. We haven't heard anything about his situation whatsoever. He does have the eligibility to stay for another year. Um, Travis Dye is in the transfer portal although he was like hanging out with Oregon players yesterday, went to a barbecue place, um, or maybe that was a couple days ago by now. Uh, and it has been radio silent on die. Um, pretty odd for a guy who's racked up, what is it, over 3,000 yards by now uh, on the ground in an Oregon uniform. So we'll see what happens there. I think a lot of Duck fans are okay with him moving on, though, just because we have Byron Cardwell sitting right there in the depth chart. Um, we've waxed enough about how good we think Cardwell can be um, so yeah, seven McGee, if you consider him a running back, we kind of just have to put him here. We know he's a hybrid guy. He's like DeAnthony. He'll, he'll get moved around in the slot. He'll be in the backfield. Uh, I think his question is less so about how, how many reps he takes away from other backs and more so about how many touches he gets as a guy. Uh, cause we know the ball needs to be in his hands at least a little bit. Trey Benson in the transfer portal and landed at Auburn. Is that correct? Uh, no, he's at, he's at Florida State, I think. With, Florida uh, State, Micah. that's right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, and then Sean Dollars entered the portal, a few minutes later came out of the portal, later that night went in the portal, and then I believe the morning after came out of the portal. So he's at Oregon, and he's an Oregon player. McGee also did that once. Seven was in the portal for like a couple minutes and then came out. But yeah, seven actually, I think was never officially in the portal. I think he tweeted it out, but, uh, ah, okay. Okay. Yeah. But whatever. <laughs> I mean, it, it was kind of funny. I heard a lot, a lot of people just be like, I, I kind of assumed that the process to enter and exit the portal was a bit more, uh, 
a bit more difficult than just you know what it seemed <laughs> to be, which is just pushing a button. But you know, yeah, um, yeah. It was my funny. question to you, Reed, is like, yeah. who who would you like to see get the most reps at running back next year? Well, I think it's tough. Um, I think that, I mean, you probably want another. I mean, you need another body if if Verdell and Die both leave because seven right now is kind of a hybrid, and dollars and Cardwell. I mean, you can't have two running backs. You probably want four to five, um, given how easy it is for a, a injury to happen at that position and pot- potentially an injury that lasts a little while. So that's kind of tough. Um, I think you could bring in a. a 22 running back to kind of ease that load or maybe there's a transfer guy you could bring in i'm not sure if anyone would really want to come into this room with how how good cardwell and potentially dollars are gonna be um so yeah all that is to say i mean i I would personally like to see die back i guess but i would say also i understand where some people are coming from and i think that I mean, in terms of having a guy who can step up into that and just kind of fill these slots into a new RB1 and a new RB2, you know, Oregon has that in, in Byron and Dollars. Like, I really think that those two people, that that they can be a running back one and two. It's about the depth past that. Um, but it's kind of like, you know, I compare it a little bit to a situation like, when LaMichael declared for the draft. And it's like, yeah, obviously, I mean, you know, Die isn't quite the caliber of LaMichael, but it's like, obviously, LaMichael was great, right? He would have helped the room. He was a productive player coming back. But at the same time, you weren't really that disappointed to say, oh, we get to see, you know, Kenyon Barner be a feature back. That that was pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel that way about Cardwell. It's like him being a feature back is is exciting. It's something new. We lose a little experience. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's interesting. I mean, if die does leave USC's certainly seems like it's on the table, which is a bit scary, um, and would be sad just for his legacy a bit. I mean, I wouldn't trash him or anything, but it, you know, it would feel a little weird playing against him and, in, in mm-hmm. USC uniform. Um, yeah, all that is to say it's a weird weird spot in the running back room there's a lot of talent at least though i mean i think that uh yeah i think there's definitely a lot of talent there and and a lot of people i'm excited to see get carries i just hope that there's enough depth uh there one thing that's definitely true is that uh these things were a little easier to predict or at least um I don't know. Well, yeah, I guess predict works. Like, this depth chart was a lot easier to predict before the transfer portal was a thing. Um, Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I tweeted it out when it happened. Like, die leaving was probably the last thing I expected. Um, Out of all the guys on this roster who I assumed would uh, stick around, if not go to the NFL, I mean, die was near the top of that list, I think. So, um, right. And it's because of NIL, which isn't a. You know, I, I mean, I'm happy for these guys to make money for sure, but it it's an interesting thing that I think we didn't expect that a player like Die. I mean, so many people have said kind of he's probably mm-hmm. a better college player than he is a pro player, and now he actually has a chance to make money off of 
the fact that he is a really good and productive college running back. You know, he, that might yeah. not translate to him being a starting running back in the NFL, but he can do that in college. And it seems like someone, uh, you know, potentially would be interested in paying him to do that. But at the same time, maybe, maybe you know, he's hanging out with the Oregon players and he's just kind of exploring options, but he's going to come back. So I don't, I don't feel confident about how this will end up in either way, but I think I'll be excited to at least see Cardwell in an increased role and some dollars carries and just see kind of how these guys are used overall. Yeah, definitely. I mean, something that uh, can kind of fall by the wayside sometimes is that um, Cardwell was really damn good last season when he got the ball. And the times he wasn't, I think it was more product of game state, you know, like we're already running out the clock or something like that rather than, oh, he's not good enough to be, like, RB1. Um, I think he very clearly is good enough to be RB1, and it's rare to say that about a guy as young as him. But um, I don't know. I mean, he the one thing about Cardwell is he does have – his situation seems to be a lot more open than the other two guys, Mm -hmm. talking about Dye and Verdell, who maybe are gunning for that uh, starting spot or the majority of the carries. We heard Cardwell's – family i mean they're very open about like especially his father joining twitter spaces in the past few months like he's very open about like look we want our son to get touches like we want him to get the ball but at the same time we're not going to be um you know we're they're not gonna just jump in the portal as soon as he doesn't get the starting spot you know they they're a lot more tempered in a sense than some of these other guys who i mean like I'm not shitting on Trey Benson by any means. I, I wish he was still an Oregon guy. I love Trey Benson, but I mean, it's not really Oregon's fault that he didn't, he never got the opportunity. You know, he was just kind of buried in the depth chart and or injured the entire time he was a duck. Right. Um, yeah. And if I you think need to move on, you need to move on, but yeah, I'm happy with the room we have now. And those things are also, you know, probably a factor in that too, is just, a guy coming across the country is a little bit different too. And, and I know master was a big part of him making that leap. So mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I'm glad Sean dollar stuck around though. Cause he's like one of the guys we prop up the most historically on this pod. Um, I, I mean, it's, I, I look at this room and I, it's hard to say he doesn't get touches next season. Uh, even as RB three or four on the steps chart, um, hopefully he stays healthy enough to do so, but I, I ran the question I asked you in a Twitter poll, uh, a little bit ago, a week ago. Um, and the results were kind of interesting. I asked who would you like the, the starting running back to be? Um, and this was right before Dye's transfer, just for context. And, yeah. uh, Cardwell won narrowly with 35 and a half percent of the vote. Dye got 34 and a half percent of the vote. Verdell got 22%, and then the rest was like 8%. Um, kind of interesting. I don't know. I didn't, I expect, I, I don't really know what I was expecting. That's why I asked it, because I thought it was a good question. Um, but <laughs> clearly, the Oregon fan base can't even really get behind one guy or the other. So um, maybe I should run that again and see, you know, run the simulation again without die in there. Uh, to see who people prefer between Cardwell and Verdell. I think Verdell's getting a little overshadowed here. Like, again, I was very surprised that he was the lowest out of the three. But um, I don't know, man. He, he was injured for half a season this last year, and he, like, had the biggest play of the season, at least on offense, like, according yeah. to us. 
I don't know, man. He's done a lot of great things. He's a great north-south runner. I hope he gets the chance to keep going at Oregon. But, yeah, we'll see what happens there. Deadline for the draft is coming up pretty quick here, is it not? Yeah, it's early February. I forget the exact date. But, yeah, that'll be interesting to see these things kind of settle in finally. Uh, wide receiver room? Yep. Um, yeah, so I think... I mean, this is another one where I think we can expect to see some movement here, maybe. Um, whether it's whether it's Chase Coda, the who just went in the portal from UCLA, uh, Brew McCoy, who's you know uh, I think he's in the portal or flirting with the portal. He's not at with USC right now, so um, and, and there's a potential he could play defense. Uh, another guy, Jermaine Burton, hopped in the portal from Georgia. Mm-hmm. Um, all those guys are are pretty good options uh, for a transfer receiver, and I think the reason that Oregon might need one is really just because of bodies. You know, um, QBs talked about this a bit, but I mean, really, when you look at a receiver room, you probably want you know nine to twelve receivers in there, um, and one of the cases that QB brought up that comes to mind for me too is. Remember that Auburn game going into it in 2019, and we had yeah. like five guys down that year. Um, who, mm-hmm. Going into that game, that was pretty tough. I, I mean, sadly, I remember the 2015 national title game. Uh, I always, you know, remember <laughs> and bring this up. You have uh, Farrell Brown down at tight end. You have Devin Allen down. You have Braylon Addison down. You have. Darren Carrington out suspended uh, for complete BS. Um, yeah. Anyways, so so that receiver room can get dinged up a bit, obviously. And when that happens, you want to be more than six deep, which is basically what Oregon is right now. I mean, literally. Uh, right. They, I guess they added Justice Lowe, which bring, brings them to seven. Uh, mm-hmm. And speaking of seven, you can have seven convert over there to bring you to exactly. eight uh <laughs> um wow. but uh yeah i mean it's not about you know talent wise i think i would love to see a receiver room of thornton franklin and hudson i was doing a little rewatch of some of those highlights of the alamo bowl and i was just kind of i mean i'm blown away by franklin and thornton we've talked about so much but chris hudson man he really came on this year, and I'm as excited to watch him as anyone, honestly. Um, mm-hmm. He's a real dude. I think behind them, Crocker and Brevard, um, I'm excited to see some stuff from. I think Brevard we could see make a leap. I think Crocker showed that he's been working behind the scenes and is ready for an opportunity late this year. Uh, mm-hmm. Delgado's the other guy hanging around in there who we haven't really heard that much from. Um, but I'll be interested to see him. I mean, in that Auburn game, uh, he was a guy who played in that game pretty as a true freshman. So yeah. Yeah. And made an impact as well. Like we, we've seen him make impacts on, on different games here and there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So there's a lot of talent here. I feel pretty good. I mean, it's one of those things where people were so worried about the wide receiver room for a while or just kind of anxious to see the young guys take over. And now that's kind of where we're at. Um, so I'll be interested. Uh, but yeah, what are your thoughts? Do you think uh, bringing in a transfer is a good idea here? 
and maybe like what would you be looking for in that guy? Yeah, I'd take a transfer. I, I think it's kind of ironic that um, we almost need more. Well, okay. I was going to say it's kind of ironic that we don't really have any as many slot receivers anymore. Like that used to be the whole thing, right? Was that we had Micah Pittman and Johnny Johnson who were short enough to be playing slot out on the, you know, out on the sidelines. Um, but nowadays in college football, I mean, you don't necessarily, like Chris Hudson is not like a short dude. I mean, he's 5'11". That's not like miniature by any means. Um, and he'll, again, he's kind of presumed to be the starting slot guy. So I would take like a, another quick guy in the slot. Um, again, though, I, I don't see a problem with just stockpiling more talent on the edges either. Uh, I mean, Franklin and Thornton, of course I want, I, <laughs> this should be obvious to everyone who listens by now. Like we want the skinnies getting the touches. Don't, don't get it twisted. Uh, we want those guys getting reps. And now that Johnny Johnson, Jalen Red, Devin Williams have moved on or Michael Pittman have moved on. Devin Williams was limped in with, or lumped in with the skinnies for a while, but you know what I'm talking about. Now that those those four guys are gone, I mean that was the majority of the of the targets really. Uh, Chris Hudson was surprisingly second in targets on the team last season, um, and Franklin ended up fourth, even ahead of both Red and Pittman. But uh, I don't know, man. I'm I'm really excited to see what these younger guys can do. Obviously, I would take a transfer. I'm really interested in Low, man. Uh, I found it very intriguing that the coaching staff went after him as hard as they did this this late in the cycle got him to decommit from utah and flip within what was it a few days yeah Uh, it doesn't feel like yeah it feels like yesterday that he decommitted we're recording this on wednesday night by the way um so if we have more additions by then i or later by the time you listen to this i wouldn't be surprised but um yeah, I don't know. I also find it a little bit odd that Lance Wilhoit moved on the way he did. I know it's a name that kind of gets buried in the depth chart a lot of times, but um, wasn't really with the team this season, as I understand it. Don't really know what his situation is. Don't really know where he's going to end up. But he's a guy who definitely could have got reps in practice, much less, I mean, probably even in games. Um, again, just considering the lack of bodies that we have at receiver right now. But, uh, right. you know, wishing the best for him. And, again, I'm excited to see what, what all these guys can do, like, even a guy like Crocker, who is suddenly like the oldest dude in in the entire wide receiver room, um, we've only seen bits and pieces of, and so it's, it's going to be interesting to see it. But I do think this is a this is a position group to keep an eye on. You know, people take injuries for granted a lot. Like, if one of Thornton or Franklin goes down, I mean, you're not talking about in general. I mean, first of all, they're not experienced in the first place. But if you have to replace them, there there's even less experience behind them. So definitely something to keep an eye on um and again these guys are young like i know franklin and thornton have the physical skills to be great receivers but we still have to see it first uh and i know we've seen it in small sample sizes but i'm really interested to see how that goes with somebody new throwing them the ball or at least mostly new um in a game type situation whoever the quarterback ends up being so yeah i think yeah Unfortunately, kind of the last point on this is like when you talk about, oh, it'd be nice to have a 22 guy. The elephant in the room a bit is, you know, Tedero McMillan flipping to Arizona. Uh, And and I don't blame the staff for that at all. I think it was a tough situation for them to come in and try to salvage that. And it seemed like they took it to the wire. But um, 
But that would that would be a nice piece to kind of layer this receiver group and have a guy like that who is kind of perfect situation where you can give him some reps, but then, you know, if you really had to had to go to him, you wouldn't feel that horrible about it either. Um, you'd be excited for it. You know, that's probably what Arizona is going to have to do. Um, mm-hmm. I'm excited to see us fill somewhere in here a, a transfer, uh, just a role guy maybe. Um, who can kind of be a part of a, a group of five or six guys who are really, uh, really heavy, and to have these young guys be kind of the feature receivers in there. Um, do you want to move on to tight ends now? Let's do it, man. The most straightforward of all these position groups. Uh, well, and yet it includes somebody who might not even be playing tight end next year in DJ Johnson. But um, Ferguson, Matavajo, and Webb, are obviously like the the big three right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cam McCormick coming back. We'll see how healthy he is. I've seen some stuff about like people not wanting McCormick back or whatever. Like, oh, he doesn't, you know, the coaching staff doesn't have the same attachment to him. There's no reason to keep him around. I definitely disagree with that. Um, I don't see what any problem whatsoever with McCormick sticking around. Uh, you can't take his scholarship away at this point. So there's not really a reason to there's not really a numbers reason to get rid of a guy like that, and uh, he's good when he's healthy, and at the very very least he's a vocal leader in the locker room that can help out some of these younger guys. So this is the position group I'm least concerned about. You also got Patrick Herbert in the mix there, so that's six names in Ferguson, Matavau, Webb, uh, McCormick, Johnson, and Herbert. Uh, I would say at least. Three of them, I'm very confident, can be starting level Pac-12 tight ends. Honestly, through all three of those guys, I'm I'm willing to say, could, well, maybe two of them, I'm willing to say, could potentially gun for like a a Pac-12 first team spot. Um. So yeah, and then DJ Johnson, obviously a great blocker, so we'll see what he can do. And Herbert, we haven't seen any of yet, but you know, I'm I'm very confident in this room, and no changes, nobody coming in, nobody going out. It's kind of yeah. interesting. Yeah, I think Ferguson and Matavau, I'm just excited to see them kind of develop. I mean, they're just both really, really good tight ends. They're, you know, they might not be quite generational Brock Bowers, Kyle Pitts types, but they're, you know, just a notch below that. They're damn good young tight ends who have, you know, really the sky's the limit in terms of their ceiling. So I think uh, I'm really excited to see both of them keep going. Um, and I think that this group definitely in the depth of it aids a bit of those depth concerns at wide receiver. You know, if this scheme has to be has to be uh, shifted a bit to use a bit more, you know, 12, 13 personnel, uh, some more heavy tight end packages and, and kind of rely on these guys to help boost the passing game. I don't see anything wrong with that, right? I mean, you could get a lot of production out of Ferguson, Matavau, and Webb, especially in the passing game. And then, you know, we'll see what happens with a guy like Herbert or McCormick if they can come back from injury and, and be productive. Um, you kind of hinted at it, but I'm I'm interested to see, you know, if a move over back to defense makes sense for, for DJ Johnson. And I think maybe we can talk about that a little little bit more when we get to the D line. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um but yeah, man, overall very very confident in that group. It's the group I'm least worried about, I think on the entire team. Um just no, in terms of personnel. Fair. 
Let's throw it yeah. there. It's so right, flexible too, because you can only you know you can just stick with one tight end if you have some injuries, or if three guys are really looking good, you know you can put two or three tight ends out there. But yeah. exactly, yeah. And I don't have the snaps in front of me, but I'm pretty sure that uh, both the freshmen Ferguson and Montevallo played more snaps than Webb. Um, so really? maybe that's something to keep an eye on. Maybe he goes in the portal and thinks he can contribute more somewhere else. But I don't know. It's also worth mentioning real quick about the portal. Like, it's it's a pretty sad thing to think about. But, I mean, how much do you think Trey Benson's really going to play at Florida State? How much we'll do you see. think Ashford's really going to play at Auburn? Like, again, we'll see is always the answer. And that was the same answer that was being given when they were here. So, I mean, all the best to them. I genuinely do want them to succeed i love those guys but uh transferring to another premier program doesn't always mean that you're going to get reps just because it's a different place and there's a different personnel situation like you still got to prove that you're willing you still got to prove that you're good enough to get on the field to do so um right so yeah all right we're all we're just a tad behind schedule let's zoom through this o-line we are not going to mention every single name but um <laughs> say that now yeah geez uh well i think the starters we know already right um yeah and, ba- tj bass go ahead and just for the immediate future i'd just say like i mean that's the group that's locked in if we're looking ahead to 2022 20, football season i mean i think it's going to be that starting group that you're about to go through of, of bass stephen jones malasala alex forsyth ryan walk um, exactly and exactly. then you hope that guys for me i'm thinking uh i mean jeremy is a guy who rotated in with that group you think mm-hmm. you know he probably is going to have a spot role there and is a really capable replacement and then i really hope that we see a bit of jackson powers johnson which we already saw mm-hmm. uh and, and especially bram walden who we didn't get to see as much i think he's looking good um and I, I think he has a really high ceiling. So I think developing those tackles, I mean, that's the deal with this offensive line group is it's pretty deep, especially on the interior of the offensive line. I mean, there's a lot of names on here who are highly rated guys who I would be game to see play on the interiors. Uh, it's a little short on tackles. I mean, that's kind of evidence in TJ Bass kicking out there and playing tackle <laughs> and, and he was serviceable at it. Yeah. But I mean, that's, probably not where you want him long term um or not where he probably projects best if if you're in an ideal situation so yeah mm-hmm. i mean i'm really hoping that walden gets developed i'm hoping to see more jackson powers johnson because he was awesome and then i feel really good about the five or six guys that we saw a lot of last year um on a pretty good o- o-line last year i mean not elite but they controlled some games when they needed to obviously had a great performance at ohio state Maybe had some other times where they weren't quite as good, but I think you hope that they just keep growing and getting developed. And, you know, ultimately it's tough to see this O-line being worse than they were last year with, all you know, the added experience mm-hmm. and gelling and everything. Yeah, only three guys leaving the offensive line room, one being George Moore, who's been here since 2017. Uh and he graduated, obviously. Kingsley Sumatia, obviously the highest rated guy out of, in our 2021 class, he moved on to BYU. Um, and then Logan Sagapolu, a uh, guy who's just a redshirt freshman, um, he is in the portal as well to be determined where he ends up. Two new names coming in, Michael Wooten and Kawika Rogers. 
both guys uh, in the class of 2022 that I think it's safe to say they're more long-term projects. Be right. very surprised to see them in any meaningful snaps in this first season, at least. Uh, but I think the headline here is looks great for the Ducks. Five seniors returning on the offensive line. Yeah, I think it's a great group to kind of buoy a first-year head coach, first-year staff. Um, and, you know, I mean, O-line's really important. If you talk about football's about blocking and tackling, right? I mean, blocking is half of that equation. And yeah. the O-line makes up most of that part. So um, so it's good to have some people who are experienced uh, in there. Yeah, definitely. For those keeping track at home, 15 bodies in the O, 15 scholarship bodies, mind you, in the O-line room yeah, I for think, 2022. I think that's a, uh, we'll see, you know, talk about the portal. I mean, we'll see <laughs> how this thing goes. Uh, I think that Mario maybe liked to keep things a little, the cupboard a little extra stocked at O-line because of his, <laughs> you know, love for those guys. So uh, I wonder if there's a little bit of a redistribution there at some point, but yeah. Defensive line going over to the other side of the ball. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna for now. I'm gonna keep the same like position groupings we used last year and save mm-hmm. edge guys for for next yep. year. Are you looking at the same list as me? Can we just yep. use the? Yeah, uh, I love that. Yep. Sweet. Uh, more interior D line guys. The big names are coming back. Uh, mm-hmm. Other than Jason Jones, everybody is back. Uh, Dorless, Popo, Christian Williams, Keon Ware Hudson. Those were the four main contributors at that position last year. Jones got the fifth most amount of snaps. Um, all those guys are back. Uh, of course, Jason Jones going to Auburn with those other guys. Uh, I mean, three new guys coming in. Sir Mel's, Ben Roberts, uh, the Washington flip, and then the other Washington flip literally played at Washington, Sam Taimani. Taki Taimani, I guess is what we like to call him. Yeah. Um, I guess the biggest question here is, especially I think with Roberts and Taimani, how much do you expect these guys to actually get rotated in? I mean, I would think Taimani. I mean, Taimani was a solid. He wasn't just. He was a good, solid like Pac-12 starter for two years now. I think he had their fifth most snaps last year on defense. For you, yeah. And, wow, that even sounds low. I I thought it, he he had the most snaps on their defensive line. I know that much. Right. Um, I mean, uh, is he like the number two guy now? I, I find that hard to believe. I would think he inserts somewhere around like what Christian Williams got last season. Or, I mean, maybe they're just rotating a ton of guys constantly. Yeah, I think that, um, I mean, I honestly feel really, really good about this group just looking at it in terms of an interior defensive line. I mean, Dorless and Popo, I think those guys are going to be monsters next year. Um, and then they have kind of this three-headed group behind them of, I, I think of as Christian Williams, Keon Hudson, and Taki Taimani. And I think those three guys are super serviceable D linemen who would be studs at almost every other school in the Pac-12. I mean, literally mm-hmm. look at Washington, who say what we will about them, but I mean, they're pretty talent rich at least. And yeah, Taki was the guy who started for them. So yeah, I mean, you, I think that that's just a five deep on the defensive line who 
are just dudes who would who you'd say are probably the best defensive linemen at more schools than not in the Pac-12 is a pretty big statement for the program. Um, yeah, definitely. You know, I mean, maybe that's a little generous, but I certainly feel that about the three, and and I think Keon and and Christian are growing a lot as well. So I feel good about this group. I mean, is there a game wrecker? Does is does Jordan Davis exist? Probably, you know, probably not. Um, <laughs> probably not a Heisman finalist in this group. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I mean, you know, I've beaten the Brandon Dorless drum for a while here, and I think there's a chance he steps in and is more dis a lot more disruptive and more of a signature guy um, with a bit less of a compliment at edge uh you know which we'll get into after this um obviously no Kayvon is is there really though um but so these guys are going to have to be dependent on to produce some pass rush but in terms of just down to down holding up against the run just kind of knocking back that opposing offensive line and getting a push I feel really good about uh this interior d-line yeah me too man uh I think this kind of fits this sort of fits the same narrative as we will explore with edge and that we just saw with O-line where like, or maybe even not with O-line. My point being like some of the big, you know, we'll lose one guy and it's a guy that's really, really valuable. Uh, QB put it best when we lost Jason Jones, he was like, look, we're just not going to get somebody as good as him to replace him that deep on the depth chart. Yeah. Um, I think we came as pretty close as we could with, with Taki uh again he's got less eligibility so he'll be around for less amount of time but shoot maybe jones goes to the league next year anyways if he has a good breakout year at auburn so uh there are four more guys that we haven't mentioned yet in this room suava poti michael afeze keanu williams and jalen smith i think keanu is the most likely of those guys to break out and get some playing time um but for those keeping track at home that's 11 bodies in the d-line room um yeah again losing one and Jason Jones and bringing in three more. It's also worth mentioning. We don't exactly know how landing plans to use these guys yet. Um, we're not exactly film nerds, so we couldn't tell you off the top of our heads, like exactly what kind of defense Georgia runs consistently. Um, but also they, they, you know, were able to build around guys like Jordan Davis and, you know, landing was able to mold his defense around freaking Nicobe Dean, uh, which I mean, like say what you want about Noah Sewell, but he's a bit different player than Nicobe Dean. Um, so we'll we'll see what happens in the D line room, but personnel wise, I feel confident in all these guys really. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think it it says something to me that some of those young guys, um, I think they need a little more time. Obviously, I mean it was interesting. Obviously, we don't know the total injury situation, but to have a guy like Jackson Powers Johnson step in and take a bulk of the reps in the Alamo yeah. Bowl <laughs> kind of speaks to the fact that maybe you know some of those guys aren't quite there yet but yeah you know there's time and honestly with the five guys who are kind of leading that group I don't think you probably really need much from from the bottom guys um last thing I want to say about this group if you haven't read I won't usually plug Christian Capel's work because he's the UW um athletic writer but you should go read his interview with Taki Taimani about his decision to switch over to Oregon from UW um and there's a lot of like you know uh UW like 
propaganda and stuff about how it's still a great place and all this stuff. But it's really interesting that a guy who was literally in the program with both Peterson and Lake chose to come be a part of a new one at Oregon when both programs are going through a coaching change. So I would definitely recommend checking that out if you have not seen it yet. Um, and yeah, let's move on to Edge. Yep. Um, so, I mean, obviously the big thing at Edge, you talk about losing <laughs> important players. <laughs> I mean, so Kayvon isn't coming back in case you missed the memo. Uh, <laughs> so we lose one of the best players in college football. That That is certainly a hit. Um, Never good. It is tough to undersell the uh, or to oversell the impact of that. Um, yeah, so that said, <laughs> it's pretty tough, pretty tough to kind of recreate anything close to what we had with Kayvon in terms of that just being kind of this cheat code, um, get yeah. pressure just by ever having him one-on-one with someone. But... Um, <laughs> There's some bodies here that are interesting. Uh, I look at, well, so I'll go through a few of them. I think Mace Funa, he's a guy who highly rated out of high school. He's kind of gone back and forth with where his body's at and trying to keep, you know, balance, keeping power and strength, uh, and, and also being still really fast. Um, and I, I think he's a really solid player. Um, I think that sometimes he's leaned into being kind of stronger and bigger and maybe isn't quite as mobile as we hoped he might project as, but we'll see how this new, you know, strength program works on him. Uh, that's certainly a question, but I mean, the ceiling is still really high for him. Um, Entering his junior year all of a sudden. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, Braden Swinson, that's a guy who we were super excited about early in the season. Uh, the hype kind of waxed and waned a bit as he missed some time uh, and maybe didn't recreate ex- you know, exactly the same magic <laughs> that was there all, all the time early in the season. But that's okay, right? I mean, I think he still has um, a chance to be a really productive player, and I'm excited to see if he can take another step, and he's still super young. Um yeah, I mean, going. after Funa, the the big question for me with really the uh, the rest of these guys you're going to mention, including Swinson, is like who kind of takes over that second spot. Yeah. Um, again, there are so many ways to scheme around a deficiency when you have Dan Lanning as your head coach that I'm not super concerned about it. But at the same time, like if we're being honest, KT really carried this position group for most of the <laughs> season, um, yeah. just personnel wise. And that kind of gets buried a lot just because, I mean, the defensive line did have some great games. But, again, if we're talking about strictly edge guys, like, sure, maybe you classify Dorless as a defensive end or whatever. Um, but it, it's really about where guys are lining up and what part of the line they're impacting, which gaps they're shooting. So, um, yeah, man. Overall, I, I would like to say Swinson gets, like, a second edge spot if that still exists again. Um, but maybe it's Adrian Jackson. Maybe it's one of these younger guys that steps up. Uh, we saw Brandon Buckner get a couple, a bit of a run out towards yep. the end of the season. Uh, Jabril McNeil, we know, was highly rated. Jonathan Flo, you know, also a four-star, often in the shadow of his older brother, who we'll talk about in a second. But, 
a talented recruit in his own right. And then Anthony Jones coming in, um, a guy who was he once committed to Nebraska or he's just from Nebraska? Uh, I think you might be. Else? I think you might be thinking of Devin Jackson, who Devin was Jackson. who's from yeah. Nebraska. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, but I I think uh, I think you're definitely right that it is kind of Foon is probably going to lock down one of these spots. Um, and I think part of the answer and how do you solve for KT is you you just hope that landing is really that good and that he's able to capture some of the magic that he had at um that he had at had at Georgia uh, and do you know recreate what he was great at which was getting pressure uh, and he has some people here with some elite traits you know even if they don't they aren't the full kind of package that Kayvon was I think I mean Funa's got good instincts and he's really strong uh, and physical and and you know looks the part I think that Swinson is young um but he's proven to be a effective player for sure I think Adrian Jackson we always talk about his speed is elite I mean really elite you know he's the he's one of the few people where if you kind of you know are are looking out the side of your eye at the screen you might be like oh is that cave on that get off was pretty good <laughs> and then you know oh no it wasn't but he can trick you a bit in a sec for a second there um and Buckner's a guy who's who's really highly developed technically uh, because his dad was a D-line coach. And so there's a lot of pieces here, you know, and it's kind of like it, it's not all assembled yet, but you kind of hope that Lanning is the perfect guy to put a lot of pieces together into a defense that can force some pressure. Yeah, definitely. And again, we're, we're lumping like uh... – outside linebackers in here or guys who were classified as outside linebackers. Again, we're jumping the gun a little bit on this whole analysis because we don't exactly know what landing's going to run or what he's going to do with his personnel. I'm sure he doesn't exactly know yet either. Um, or maybe he does, who knows, but, uh, point being, I, this is a kind of, I'm a little less confident on this group. Like it's more of a, we'll wait and see than a, a sure thing. And I think in general, well, I don't know. I was going to say I think we're going to be replacing more guys on defense than offense, but I think it's that the guys we're replacing on offense are more replaceable. Yeah. Is that fair? Like, yeah, okay, you're losing your starting quarterback and, like, you're, you know, four of your top six receivers, um, but we're more confident that we can replace those guys and our starting running back. Um then we are Kayvon Thibodeau and like Veron McKinley and Mikhail Wright and DJ James, which we'll, we'll get to in yeah. a second. I mean, I'll tell you the reason for that is pretty simple. Go pull up the 2021 recruiting class and <laughs> the offensive guys on that class. And I mean, those are the replacements on the offensive side of the ball and your jaw's going to drop at how freaking talented all those guys are. And even the guy who Oregon picked up last second, and Byron Cardwell turned out to maybe be the best of the bunch. I mean, that offensive class in 2021 is just absolutely absurd. Um, and so they they make it a lot easier to, you know, easier pill to swallow some of the losses on offense for sure. Um, you want to do inside linebackers? Let's do it. Noah Sewell's the guy in the middle. That should be pretty obvious by now. Um, 
Again, we'll see how many guys Lanning wants to roll with, but I think it's safe to say there are, you know, generally these days there's like two inside linebackers starting spots, you would say. Yeah. Um, and it seems pretty logical that Justin Flo, the fellow five-star, is going to slide in right next to Sewell. We'll see how healthy he is. Um, we'll see how <laughs> in tune with the defense he is, shall we say. Uh, kind of really the only knock on flow, the only two knocks on flow are that he's been injured, which isn't really his fault. And that sometimes he, you know, gets in his own way a little bit um, in terms of not following the scheme as much as some other guys. Sewell, though, is the best of both worlds. I mean, the guy has an incredible football brain and an incredible football body. Uh, so I, I'm really not too concerned on that front behind God, them. And we saw this so last awesome. year's where it gets a little dicey. Yeah, dude, he's so great. <laughs> um, like Keith Brown and Jackson LaDuke are kind of going to be fighting for reps as at that, that next spot. Brown got more reps last year, but uh, maybe LaDuke is, is more, is better positioned right now to kind of overtake that. Do you, do you have a thought on that? Well, I think it's it's definitely worth mentioning, and I don't know if he caught this, but there was some weird, uh, I think it originated from a thread on Scoop Duck of someone uh, bumping into uh, Matthew Powledge, the safeties coach at an airport or something. <laughs> Classic mm-hmm, message mm-hmm. board stuff. But basically the speculation was about the big question that we've asked all offseason, or one of them, you know, is Jeffrey Bassett going to stay at, inside linebacker or move back to safety and it seemed like the early leaning from the new staff was that he might stay at inside linebacker Hmm. um interesting and i'm excited by that right i think i mean just to be honest he certainly looked the part last year (laughs) yeah he looked really good um and i think it makes a lot of sense right i mean sewell and flow you hope that everything works out with flow and he can stay on the field for a full year. Um, and that group's going to be awesome. And then behind that, um, you know, with Leduc and Brown, you, you're fine. You're a little thin, I guess. Um, but Devin Jackson, Harrison Taggart, we'll see kind of how they look when they get on campus, both highly rated four-star guys. Um, but Bassa is, is an experienced player. I mean, he was a true freshman this year, but on, he was forced into it so much that, um, Mm-hmm. he's got a ton of reps under his belt at inside linebacker and he looked really good doing it. Um, and I think that, yeah, you know, we'll see what happens with flow and what rule role Bassa plays, whether it's, you know, likely probably a little diminished from what it was this year. But then once you're heading into 2023, uh, I think you feel a lot better if Bassa's in that room. And honestly, like the potential of him to be, really the leader of that inside linebacker and core in two years. Um, so I'm excited for him to stay there. Uh, if that's what the staff decides, I think that he proved that his frame kind of works really well at that spot. So I yeah, do, definitely. but, but I mean, if, if flows out there and with how just amazing Sewell is, I mean, really one of my favorite ducks of all time. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm really excited to see what this linebacker crew does. I'm a lot lot more confident in them than the edge crew, which I think is easy to say with a guy like Sewell there and the potential flow and some other good options. Um, And like you said, a proven guy in Bassa already. I mean, he started half the games last season at inside linebacker. (laughs) 
Right. Yeah, it's funny to say. Um, all right, you want to yeah. move on to secondary, or you got anything else? Uh, numbers real quick. Um, six guy. We had six guys to start the year last year. You add Basso, that's seven. Two of them, Nate Hukulani and Drew Mathis, are gone, both graduating, I believe. Um, and then you bring two more in, Devin Jackson, Harrison Taggart, so we're still at floating around seven there. Again, if you include Bassa in that. Um, but that's an easy transition into safety where, I don't know, I, I when I made this spreadsheet that we're both looking at, and that I actually I might as well just post this on Scoop Duck, um, so go check it out if, if uh, you want to. Should be in the forum somewhere. Um, I put Bassett safety just because I was kind of scared about who was going to replace Verone and Jordan Happel, two guys who yeah, took a ton cool. of reps at safety last season. Um, Jamal Hill sticking around. He had that great uh, Predator reference video for um, his announcement that he's sticking around for another year. But again, that's a nickel, you would assume. Um, so then that, that leaves like Steve Stevens. And I mean, we know Bennett Williams can be great, but. He also has to, you know, stay healthy. At, after that, you're looking at Brian Addison and Scoop David. And, I mean, I've been high on Scoop David just because Verone told me he was, like, the best young guy in the room at the beginning of the year last year. But that can only, you know, stick around for so long. Like, at some point, I, I got to be a little bit skeptical. What are your thoughts on this room, though, top to bottom? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm excited about Powledge getting in there and molding these guys. Um, it's not necessarily that I, you know, I'm not going to talk bad on Marcel Yates exactly, but I don't think he was one of the bigger name hires on the staff. And so I think Powledge is a guy who given co-defensive coordinator responsibilities and, you know, obviously Baylor's defense was awesome this year. So I'm excited to see what he can do with this group. Um, and whether kind of some of these guys who have had, you know, it's a little similar to the edge position in some ways. And, you know, you look at a guy like Steve Stevens and Brian Addison and Damon David, you know, there's a lot of guys with some talent um, and athleticism in here uh, who just haven't put it all together quite, you know. And, I mean, obviously, Scoop David's a bit younger than the rest of those guys, so, you know, no, no shade on him exactly. But I'm excited to see what they can make out of this group i mean bennett williams coming back is massive mm -hmm. uh he was just awesome i mean he's kind of pencil into uh all conference team first or second um and then jamal hill we'll see how he responds i think we saw some such good flashes of him in 2020 and then we kind of you know this year was a bit more up and down uh and a bit less opportunity and so I, I kind of wonder if he can get back into form um, and where he fits in exactly. Uh, but, yeah, the, the safety position is definitely a little bit of a worry. Uh, I'd be interested to see if there's a portal guy who could be brought in um, because I think they could use some help or maybe a guy like, you know, Tricrose Bridges uh, takes his hand at um, – at nickel and Manning steps in at corner, you know, and, and, mm -hmm. and Gonzo, the transfer. And then, uh, you're able to slide Bennett back to, you know, real, a real safety role. I, I don't know if that would probably be the right move. Cause Bennett did look good at nickel. Um, maybe you slide Triquez back to safety because he 
you know, was kind of recruited. Um, well, I guess there was some, you know, question in his recruitment about which one he played, and he's a really longer corner right now, so he could potentially work there. Um, I'm just interested. Manning as well. Yeah, Manning yeah, was I mean, actually listed as a safety in the Alamo Bowl depth chart. Again, most of most of, like he was listed as the starting corner, but one of the backup safeties is what I'm saying. Um, right. So I mean, <laughs> there's not a ton you can take from that, but uh, I don't know. It, we really don't know what's going to happen with this room, right? Like, I think you're very right in saying that we very well could see a transfer coming in sometime this off season. As I'm looking at it right now, if you dis if you don't include Bassa, that's five guys in the room with McKinley, Happel, and JJ Greenfield all leaving. So we'll yep. see, man. <laughs> uh corner. Yeah, I think corner. Um honestly, I mean, you know, you lose Mikhail, that one hurts a lot. Uh and you lose DJ. And I mean, he was a good player for us this year. I was really uh, you know, it 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 honestly sucks in part just because I, I think as a fan, we just had some attachment to him. It was really fun to see. I, I have a soft spot, in, you know, for people who come from the South and, uh, and you know, kind of make the track across the country to come to Oregon. I just always think that's a cool story, uh, and I'm excited when they have success here. Um, and so it was, you know, a really cool moment to see DJ get that pick in the UCLA game to seal it off. Um, and so I was just kind of excited, you know, for, for his development. And then he decides to go in the portal and back to Auburn and his home state and, you know, no hard feelings there. Um, but from a football's perspective, you know, it was that, that hurt us. But then I think you picked up Christian Gonzalez, who obviously coach meat had the connection with at Colorado. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I think that's at worst a wash, you know, between James and Gonzalez. I think Gonzo might have a, you know, a bit of a better resume even um, mm -hmm. added on with the con connection from a coaching perspective. So I think you go into it with kind of a similar mindset and say, you know, Gonzo probably has this, this cornerback one spot locked down. Uh, and then you got guys in, in Bridges and Manning primarily who you're looking at and saying, okay, one of these two, you know, hopefully one of these two takes that big step and wins a tough competition and gets the spot. And the other ones are really good, um, you know, depth piece, hopefully if they stick around. And then you have a, got a lot of good young guys. I mean, maybe a guy like Dickerson uh, busts through quick uh, and, and kind of builds on the successful end of the season he had. Davies, Barkins, Jaleel Tucker obviously is, is the – highly rated true freshman who's coming in maybe he's just a javon holland you know level just instant impact or thomas graham level just kind of mm -hmm. like first year guy who you just see step on campus and you're like oh wow this guy can hang uh jaleel florence is a guy that oregon's pursuing that could fit that same mold so i think there's options here i think it feels really good to get gonzalez like that was just such a huge thing to say Okay, Definitely. we we have a we have a cornerback one locked down. We just need a second guy and and some other guys who can contribute. But you know you, now it's like we have a few solid options and we need one of them to step up to fill one spot. We have one. We have the other spot already locked down. We just need someone to step up to fill one and some depth pieces. Yeah, I mean I think on the whole you're a little more confident in me that we'll be able to replace 
corner yeah. corners one and two. Um, I mean, obviously, we're going to try to spin it in a positive way. And Gonzo <laughs> joining is legitimately like that is a. I mean, he was what uh, Pac-12 honorable mention last year uh, for the for the yeah, all conference so. team. Yeah. So you know, it got some improvement to do, but overall, it's a great sign for somebody in just their first season. Um, and yeah, I mean, again, I, I was going to ask you if you think Tucker can compete for one of those spots, but you kind of answered the question on your own. If, if Florence comes in, that's, then I'm ready to take this, then I'm, I'm ready to be like, okay, I'm, I'm confident in this room, but until another big guy like that lands, uh, or maybe, maybe it's a transfer, maybe it's a, a highly rated guy like Florence, um, I don't know. I'm still going to be a little skeptical about this group until then. Yeah, I think especially going into 22, I think right now the the secondary, both the safety and corner we're talking about, is is a question mark of this defense for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, that and the edge, you know, are both kind of tough. I think you bring in – I trust – I'm excited to see what Pallage can do and, and meet, I think, is, is pretty solid technically. I mean, I know people have talked about the – pass interference thing but i kind of think that that's a little overblown (laughs) but um and then in terms of scheming up pressure i mean landing is the man in terms of that you know i I just Mm -hmm. hope that we see that replicated but there's every reason to believe i mean you know based on the resume based on what he did at georgia he's basically like the guy in college football who just engineered it obviously with some great talent but um but yeah, I think it's I think it's totally fair to say um, secondary is a question mark. I think one thing that differentiates between corner and safety for me right now is that I feel like long term I feel really positive about the outlook at corner. I think there's a question mm-hmm. about are they going to be ready in 2022 this year? Will that second guy emerge? But I mean, you you project two three years down the line and you think, oh my God, we're going to have a room of upperclassmen with dickerson davies barkins tucker and maybe florence like well someone someone's gonna have to transfer but you know somebody's gonna break out really good you know (laughs) yeah Um, so that feels really good safety's future is a bit more uncertain for sure uh i think you really hope that a guy that that scoop david emerges as as a you know legit um star Mm -hmm. there i guess And, and losing barone certainly hurts the safety room for sure. But yeah, man, just again, talking about the secondary, just from a numbers standpoint, you lose five bodies and bring in two, no matter how good those two are. And don't get me wrong, those those are two of the best guys coming in um, this offseason and, and Gonzo and Tucker. It's going to be difficult. You know, there's going to be a learning curve for younger guys. And, I mean, again, two, what is it? Uh, one, two, three, four of the top five snap takers in the secondary last season are gone. Right. Yeah, right. I mean, <laughs> not good on paper. Not good on paper. <laughs> you're certainly right there. Yeah. Um. All right, man. I think we slid. Eh, we were a little bit, little bit over our time limit, but uh, we're not exactly known for <laughs> keeping things quick around here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, I think in general, of maybe we can just take a couple conclusions from this overall exercise. Again, the, the biggest areas of concern, I think they have to be in the secondary and along the kind of edge of the defense, those outside linebacker edge type guys. 
Um, on offense, though, even though we're losing a lot of bodies, I, I feel confident that we can replace all the talent that we're losing and all the product, production that we're losing. Yeah, I think um, you feel just a little bit thin at uh, at running back and receiver, depending how some decisions break, depending if there's another pickup here and there. But, I mean, in terms of the top-end talent, in terms of the starters, you know, if, if you're able to turn injuries off on NCAA 14, <laughs> you feel really good about it. Um, unfortunately, you can't do that. Uh, and then quarterback, obviously. I mean, anyone could beat that one to death, but... Um, We'll just have to see. I'm excited for the spring game and kind of see where where that lands. Yep, for sure. As I mentioned, I will try to post this um, spreadsheet that we worked off of in a uh, thread on ScoopDuck, so go check that out. Uh, we're going to keep plugging ScoopDuck, and not just because we both work there. Um, long-time listeners will know that this is we've been plugging this since before either of us had any connections to it, um, just because we know it's a good place. Um, you got anything else to plug before we dip? No, I think we're great. Uh, once again, you know, go check out the Joey interview if you haven't for sure. Um, but nothing other than that. Yeah, man, definitely. Highly, highly encourage. Um, all right. Yeah. Peace out. Thanks for listening. Please rate and all that good stuff and, uh, go ducks. Go ducks.